Daniel chapter 6, verse 18 through 28, Daniel in the lion's den, part 2. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. Also a sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. When he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him and also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. And the king gave the command and they brought those men who had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions. Them, their children, and their wives, and their lions overpowered them, broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. Then Darius wrote, To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever, and his kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and he rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. This is the word of God. Please be seated. As you know by now, the theme of Daniel has been very clear, the sovereignty of God. God rules. God is in charge. God is, has dominion over everything on this earth. Uh, last time in our review, we talked about Daniel being in his 80s, and he's still at it. See, there's no real retirement. In his 80s, he's still at it. There's no pasture for him. He's no, I've done my part. He has favor with a new king, King Darius. Even, he had favor with, in the Babylonian kingdom, and now he has favor in the Persian kingdom. Darius is so impressed with Daniel that he wants to put him in charge over all the governors and all the satraps. And because of that, there's jealousy that raises its ugly head. And we talked a little bit about jealousy last week. They, they cannot find a charge against Daniel. They look at his life. His life is, is, is without, without blemish. And so what do they do? They try to attack him in his belief system. They attack him in his faith. They, they attack him in his God. So with flattery, these satraps and governors go to the king, and they say this in verse 7, no petitioning, they, there will be no petitioning any gods or any man for 30 days, and if they break that rule, you get thrown in the lion's den. Sure death. Sure death. Daniel knew the edict. Daniel went back to his house, windows being opened, and he prays as he did every other day, three times a day towards Jerusalem. He would not be thwarted by these threats. Because Daniel learned a long time ago. Remember when he was 15 years old and taken into captivity, that we would he would not partake in the king's delicacies. He learned a long time ago that it is better to be a God-pleaser than a man-pleaser. And Daniel learned that, and that's very important for us to learn. We must obey God rather than man. He knew he was breaking the king's law, but he turned to his God in prayer. And remember, we want to be, and I mentioned this last week, it's very important, that we are exceptional citizens in, in, the, in the area that we live in. And it's Romans chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. We went through that last time. Unless the government tells us something contrary to the word of God, 
And then we cannot, we cannot abide by what the government says if it is contrary to something that God says. We must obey God rather than men. So the king was distressed. He was stuck with his own edict, his own law. It was the law of the Persians, the Medes and the Persians that could not be broken, though he tried to get out of it because he cared for Daniel. He knew he was tricked into this. Now, things that we learned last week from Daniel, just very quickly, Daniel did not panic when he had this awful thing facing him. Remember, this is a real person facing a real lion's den, and he knows what his future is going to be. He did not panic. He prayed. He prayed as usual. He, had, he held nothing back. Daniel, at age 80, did not retreat from his responsibilities. He did not cave into this, to this edict that went out. He did, not, he did not try to blend with the culture. He did not compromise and say, hey, I'm just going to take 30 days off of praying, or I can pray in the corner and no one will see me. Oh, no, Daniel just stood out and he did exactly what he did all of his life. He knew what was at stake. And Daniel had no plea for release. If you remember, there is no plea to God, oh, please rescue me from this. There wasn't that happening. Or, 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 or get those guys that plotted against me. Uh-uh, that did not happen. Why? Because Daniel trusted in his God. He trusted in his God no matter what. Remember, we have a, have a phrase here, I will trust in the Lord until I die, until I die. That's what we're called to do. And remember this, the essence of faith is this. It's the willingness to serve God or to trust God without a guarantee. I will trust you, Lord, even though I don't know what's going to happen. And Daniel didn't know what was going to happen. The king certainly didn't know what was going to happen. They all thought he was going to be eaten alive. And remember this, the lion's den is not unique. When you think about the lion's den being some impossible difficulty, that is not unique. But how a person faces the lion's den is unique. Will I trust in my God or will I not? It all depends on how much you're abiding. If you're abiding in Christ, remember, men know is the word dwell or abide. If I'm abiding in Christ, then I have a much greater chance of transitioning to anything that comes at me in this life. If I get my strength from him, if I'm really dwelling in him, then I can survive this thing. And why, why is it so important that, that our witness through all these trials uh, is seen by the world? It's very clear that the world may know that we serve a living God, that we serve our King, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that he makes all the difference in the world. When I should be in a panic attack and I'm going through this thing with some sort of peace, the world recognizes it. The world recognizes There's something different with these people. They trust their God for real. Now this week, Daniel and the lion's den Part two. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to study your word, the infallible and errant word of God. And Lord, we do not compromise on this word one jot or tittle. What you say is what we will do. We are your followers of the Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, teach us today things you want us to know. And as always, those things you teach us help us to apply to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So verse 18 through 20. Daniel's supernatural protection. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. There's no joviality here. There's going to be no celebration, not, not at this night. Also his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice, with a grievous voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying, Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, 
has your God whom you serve continually. Now let that be indelibly implanted on your minds. Whom you serve continually. Not a cursory relationship, not an occasional relationship, a continual relationship, been able to deliver you from the lion's den. Now everyone in this story, without exception, everyone in this story expected Daniel to be eaten alive. No more Daniel. The king, the plotters, Darius, the governors, the satraps, they were elated. We're going to get rid of this guy. Everyone in Darius's court all knew that he would be dead. But they forgot something. They forgot something. When all hope is gone, but God. But God. Everything, everything, everything seems impossible. There is always but God. Listen, remember this. God has a purpose for your life. God has a plan for your life. Plan for your life. Only God knows the beginning from the end. No human, no human can end this thing for you unless it's passed through the hands of God. You come in on his order and you will exit on his order. You have a timeline only known by God. A timeline only known by God. Nothing will thwart his plan. Therefore, if you have fear of flying, Get rid of the fear of flying, because you're going to crash if he wants you to crash, and you're going to make it if he wants you to make it. It's just that simple. You don't have to be afraid of the MRI machine if you're claustrophobic. You can, you can survive this thing called Earth and all the fears that we have. You have a timeline known by God. Psalm 139.16 says this, Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. This is the great uh, abortion thwarting verse. And what does that mean? Your eyes saw my, my substance being uninformed. God knew his plans for you, your life, and what it was going to be before you came into existence. Now that's a God. That's a God that knows everything. And in your book, they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when there was yet none of them. God brings you into this world. God takes you out of this world. God gives you life, and he does everything on time. Everything on time. Daniel had a purpose. No plot, no king, no king's edict, no hungry, starving lions. And I bet those, those lions were starving and ready to eat when they got thrown in the lion's den. Would thwart God's plan. And folks, it's the same for us. It's the same for us. And remember, Darius is disturbed. In verse 18, his sleep went from him. He was tossing and turning all night. That was Darius. Ruminating, thinking about the edict that he made. Have you ever been there? Have you ever made a decision? You're wondering, why did I do that? And you're tossing and you're turning and you're ruminating and you're wondering, why did I do that? At the crack of dawn, with haste, he runs to the lion's den. And catch what Darius says. Now, no, first of all, Darius acknowledges that all other gods, by what he says to, you, to the God you continually serve, he's acknowledging that other, other gods are false. Other gods are false. Now, I want you to think about something. The majority of humanity, the majority of humanity are, are seduced by false gods. Now, we do have the 1040 window picture here. We've had this up before, but make no mistake about it. Anybody that is not in the family of God has been seduced by false gods. It's either you're with God or you're not with God. You're with him or you're against him. Now, look at the, 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 the religious groups here. Islam over a billion, Hinduism over a billion, Buddhism in the hundreds of millions, 
and non-religious China in the billions. There's like 5.86 billion people in this region that don't know anything about Jesus or reject Jesus Christ. That is a tragedy. They've been seduced by false gods. Now, this seduction is now coming to our shores. It's now coming to our shores, so just think about that. Daniel was a servant of the living God, contrasted with all the false gods, all the idols on planet Earth, which are nothing. And notice what Darius says, whom you serve continually, Daniel. What a witness. Darius the king knew that Daniel was a servant of the Most High God, and he served him continually, even, even, when, even when death is facing him. How we live out our faith in Christ is exceedingly important in this culture. How we live this out is exceedingly important. Does Jesus really make a difference in our lives? Now, the world is watching each one of us, each one of us that claims to be a follower of the Lord Jesus. Hey, there's people watching you, wondering, what are you going to do that's just like me? Does Jesus really make a difference? Are you going to be just like me? Are you going to go to the same place as I go? Are you going to talk like I talk? Are you going to listen to the same jokes I listen to? Are you going to be just like me? Are you going to stand out and be different? That's what, that's what the world is looking at. The world is watching you constantly. The heathen culture takes notice, folks, of real faith. They take notice of real faith, not half-hearted Christianity, not big holiday Christians. Oh, I go on Christmas. I hit Easter. I make sure I get there on Easter. Uh, yeah, yeah. Continually all in Christians. That's what God's looking for. The God of whom you serve continually. Folks, people take notice of that. With a God that you serve uncompromised continually, people will notice that. And hopefully they're noticing that in you. Daniel's witness preceded him. Others took notice. Daniel was a biter in God. He was making his home in God. And no matter what came his way, he was going to serve the Most High God. Darius, governors, satraps, all of them knew where Daniel stood. And hopefully everyone knows where we stand as followers of the Lord Jesus. There's no such thing as closet Christianity, folks. Everyone that God calls, he calls to go out and make a difference. Not to go out and sit, not to go out and hide, not to go out and compromise and blend, to go out and make a difference. Verse 21 through 23, Daniel's mini-sermon. Watch this. And Daniel said to the king, he's thrown in there to be dead. O king, live forever. No resentment. My God sent his angels and shut the lion's mouth. Notice where the focus goes. My God. My God sent his angels and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. He believed in his God. To a heathen king, to a heathen world, may we say this, my, he says, my God has sent his angels and shut the lion's mouth. May we say, my God reigns in my life no matter what comes. Look, at the stock market is going to crash someday. Jobs are going to be different. There could be some disaster on the horizon. Anybody think that that might be there? Look where we're living. We're living in what's called the end times. This thing is ratcheting up. It is not calming down. 
Now, when you talk about miracles, impossible, the world says. That this story is a fabrication. And I would say, yes, it is impossible. That's why we call it a miracle. That's why we call this a miracle. Now, who is the angel? Some believe it is a pre-incarnate Jesus. That's, that would be great. That's, that would be good. Some believe it's a regular angel. In either case, it's a supernatural protection, no matter how you look at it. And these ferocious lions, they can't do a thing because God is protecting him. Just remember that for yourself. Nothing can happen to you. God is your protector. Everything that comes into our lives has to some way, good, bad, or ugly, pass through the hands of God. It has to. He's in control. Now, I don't think we have any idea. I don't think we have a clue at how much the angelic realm is involved in our lives. I really don't. And I've told you this before. When you think that you're making it on I-94 from here to Detroit, and you're separated by that little white line, and there are semis that are right next to that line, I'm telling you, I think that there's angels just going boom to that truck, boom to that truck, boom to that truck, boom to that truck, all day long. It's a workout for them. Yeah. I don't think we have any idea. Now, the question for all of us is this. Is my God able to deliver me? That's Daniel in the lion's den. Oh, that's, that's a story. Is my God able to deliver me? Is my God able to deliver me? The answer is this. It depends on who your God is. Is your God worry? Is your God manipulation? Is your God control? Is your God money or pleasure or power? Look at Jesus is the only God that can deliver. How do I know? Hebrews 7.25, he is able to save forever, forever, those who come to God through him, because he always lives to make intercession for us. You know what Jesus is doing now? It's his high priest ministry. He's sitting on the right hand of God the Father, making intercession for us. Look, at in 1 John 2.1, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, but not only for our sins, but the entire world. We have an advocate, someone that's going before the throne of God on our behalf. That's a big deal. Is my God able to deliver me? You bet he is. You bet he is. You have a high priest. You know, God will make a way. Trust that God will make a way for you. He will make a way for me. That's what you want to remember. God will make a way. God will make a way. Verse 23, the king was glad. He was exceedingly glad. But guess who wasn't glad that day? That morning, there was a group of people that weren't so happy. Wasn't happy, happy, happy for the plotters. <laughs> for the governors. Yes, this is an uh-oh moment for them. Look at Isaiah 54, 17. is a millennial verse for the Jews. Okay, to keep it in context. But it's a promise, I think, that we can, we can trust for ourselves. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And that's in the demonic realm or the human realm. If we are abiding in Christ, no weapon formed against you will prosper. Romans 8.31 says this, If God is for us, you know what? Who can stand against us? Zero. Zero. Now, we know reality here. If I'm in the center of God's will, I know that I'm safe no matter what. But remember in Hebrews chapter 11, all those folks were in the center of God's will. And those first part of that, of that chapter, or first, those verses of those heroic people that live by faith, they were delivered. And that was supernatural and that was miraculous and it brought glory to God. But though the second half of that, they died, they suffered, 
That's supernatural. God gives you the ability to make it through that. He stands with you, and that brings glory to God also. Either way, both are fulfilling God's purpose for your life. Both are supernatural. Both are miraculous. Both God is glorified. Verse 24, the ripple effect of sin. The ripple effect of sin, verse 24. And the king gave the command, they brought those men who had accused Daniel. They cast them into the den of lions. Them, their children, their wives, and the lions overpowered them, broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. Now this is a sad day for the family members. But I want you to think about this. The plotters are wondering, are, are thinking this, what a difference a day makes in a life. Remember Haman in the book of Esther? He was all excited because they're going to get those Jews killed, and they're building the gallows, and who ends up hung on the gallows? Haman. What a difference a day makes. For these guys, the plotters have made a huge difference from elation to deflation. And it wasn't just the plotters who suffered. Notice who suffered. It was their family members. See, sin is never isolated. In Eastern tradition, they, they all died. They all thrown into the lion's den. The lesson is this. Sin always, always, always. Please, if you, don't, if you, if you come back into the talk right now, don't leave this part of it. Sin always affects those closest to us. It always does. Think before you sin of the cost. Your children, your wives, your husbands, your friends. These men sinned. Their wives and their children paid the price. But it's the ripple effect of sin. Sin is never isolated. Never isolated. People so often think that I can just engage in this sin. What's it hurting? It's not hurting anybody else. That's a lie. That's a lie. It always has a ripple effect. It always affects other people. It is never isolated. Think. Think about the consequence. Think about it. You are to rule over your sin. Remember the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. I'll go there very quickly. Watch this. There's a tremendous principle here. Cain and Abel were, to were told to bring a specific sacrifice. Cain freelanced and brought what he thought he should bring. God addresses Cain's offering. Watch the language here. But he, God, did not respect Cain in his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. He was offended. He had a bad attitude because God did not accept what he brought. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, in other words, you know what to do. If you do well, Cain knew exactly what he was to bring. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. But notice what he, God says to Cain, and God says to each one of us, you must rule over it. You must rule over it, Cain. You, Christian, must rule over it. That is an important principle. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. We have an advantage that they didn't have in the Old Testament. We have the Holy Spirit of God resident within. And we have something, this is the Greek word, karatos. We have karatos power. You know what that is? That is a power to reign in the self-life, to reign in the sin life, to reign in to say no to the flesh and say yes to the Spirit of God. Every believer has this. We can say no to sin. Titus puts it this way. 
Titus put this this way in chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. This is in the, the ESV. For the grace of God has appeared. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. All people are savable. Depends on if you're going to believe and receive the gift. Training us to renounce ungodliness. Reign it in. Reign it in. Rule over your sin. Worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Jesus really does make a difference. You can, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, rule over your sin. Reign it in. God has given every one of us the power to say no to our flesh and yes to our spirit. Now, that would be a time to say amen. Okay, thank you. That's a good one. That's, a, that's an amen spot. Finally, verse 26 through 28, the king's heart is changed. Verse 25 through 28, then King Darius wrote, and remember when he says something, that's it. To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, where he rules, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues, and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. Oh, so this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. A heart change, folks, results in a kingdom change. Darius, I don't know if Darius was really saved or not, or Nebuchadnezzar was saved or not. We'll know that when we get to heaven. But those guys looked like there was a change in their lives. Now, this, more credence to this is given in verse 26 when it says, says this, he is the living God. This is Darius speaking, this, this, this heathen Persian king who, who worships other gods. His kingdom shall not be destroyed. His dominion shall endure to the end. He knows who this God is. He delivers, he rescues, he works signs and wonders. Darius acknowledges something, that God's kingdom will be without end. That is the true God. He is acknowledging the true God. Remember Daniel 2? verse 35 and, and 245, both of them talking, talk about the rock that's going to come and destroy all the kingdoms of this world. All the kingdoms of this world. Jesus will crush all earthly heathen kingdoms, Gentile kingdoms, and he will reign forever and ever. When Jesus comes back, that's the end of human reign. Now that, that's, that's another point. I'm going to say amen to that because it's never worked out well for humans to reign. It was supposed to be God reigning from the Garden of Eden on. There's been a mess since then. Arnold Fruchtenbaum has this to say about the kingdom of God. He says, the kingdom of God is God's rule. It is the sphere over which the sovereign God rules. God's kingdom is both a spiritual kingdom and a physical kingdom. He will establish a physical kingdom here on earth. Entrance into God's kingdom is by believing in Jesus Christ. Believing in Jesus Christ. It's not by works. It's not by being a really, really good person. It's not by manipulation. It's not by giving a lot of money. You can't buy your way into it. It is by belief in Jesus Christ. But you have to realize what believing is. Most of you know this. But we'll go over through this again. The word believe is the word pistio. And it means to be persuaded, confidence in, committed to, 
put my trust in Jesus. It's more than mere credence, more than mere saying, oh, I acknowledge that Jesus lived. You can even acknowledge that Jesus lived and died on the cross. You can even acknowledge that Jesus lived and died on the cross for the sins of the world. But until you commit yourself, you're persuaded of this, you trust that Jesus did it for you, you're lost. You're lost. See, I believe this stuff from the time my, my mom was teaching me, but I never personalized it. I didn't know you had to personalize it. The faith that I was involved in, you didn't personalize it. You just acknowledged it. There's a personalizing it. Now, I want you to, to think about something. When you're talking about trust, i got a little picture here of the guy in the wheelbarrow, and he's going across the Niagara Falls. And over on this side, you've seen this before, he's blindfolded. It's impossible to do this. And he does this, and people over here are all saying, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. And then he says, oh, you believe I can do it? Then trust me. Who's going to trust me to get in the wheelbarrow? Now, I would suggest to you this may be his wife. <laughs> but he, it, you have to get in the barrel. You have, to show, you have to put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't be the one who's going over here going, oh, go, Jesus. Go, I believe you did it. Get in the barrel. Get in there. Be persuaded. Anyway. Now listen to this. All humans, every human being born into this world, are born into the kingdom of darkness. They're under Satan's rule. Okay? Every human. We all have Adam's imputed sin. There's a spiritual transfer of kingdoms from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light when you believe, and it's instantaneous. It's instantaneous from Satan's rule to God's rule. Only for those who believe and receive the gift of salvation. When you do this, it's the immediate trans transfer of kingdoms. We've been through this before, so please bear with me because we inculcate, teach by repetition. So uh, Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says this. You've heard this before. He, which is God, has delivered us from the power of darkness. He has delivered us. That word deliver is ruomai. Ruomai in the Greek. And it means to draw with force and violence, ripped from Satan's hands. Oh, I love that picture. The instant you believe, you are ripped from Satan's hands, from the power of darkness, from the exousia, the executive rule that Satan has over humanity for a short time. Because this thing's ending for him. And conveyed or transferred in the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption. Remember, we use, we use all these words. You come into Christianity, it's like going to medical school. You have a whole new vocabulary. Well, redemption is just paid the purchase price. Jesus paid the purchase price. He bought us out of the slave market of sin. How through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. Folks, this really happens when a person is born again. We have these words, saved, received Christ as their Savior, that sort of thing. Because remember, everybody has the death sentence on them. Ephesians 2.1. Everyone is, is, is separated from God. Everyone is separated from God. And God desires that he has a family in community or communion with him. And the only way to become part of his family is to be born again, born anew. That's what he wants for every single person. There's a spiritual kingdom, folks, where God rules in the hearts of believers. Our responsibility in the spiritual kingdom is profound. He hasn't made this nebulous. It's not cloudy. It's not unknown. It's not a secret thing. Remember this? We are to go and tell. 
We're to go and tell. We're going to make disciples. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is the Great Commission. It is to go. It is to go and tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ, teaching them all things that I have commanded you. Lord, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. That is our job. Not sit silent, not to blend, is to go and tell. The world and the world system is temporary under the control or rulership, the exousia, the administrative authority of Satan. He's called the God of this age in 2 Corinthians 4.4. Jesus said he is the ruler of this world in John 12.31, and he will be cast out. That's like hip, hip, hooray. All governments, remember the statue of Nebuchadnezzar? Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, ten-nation confederation. All of these are Gentile kingdoms under the control of the evil one. That is just the truth of it. And, he, and Satan will do anything that he can to keep someone from making the transfer from his kingdom to God's kingdom. Any manipulation, any lie, any enticement that he can do, he will do. That's the spiritual kingdom. There is a physical kingdom that's coming. Jesus will return and establish his physical kingdom. Folks, this is on the near horizon. I know you've heard that most of your life. I believe it to be true. I believe it to be true. Jesus will return and he will crush the last Gentile kingdom led by the Antichrist. Remember the ten toes of the statue. The statue that Nebuchadnezzar had in his dream. Babylon, Persia, Greece. Rome, an east and west division. Remember, there's east and west nations today. This is where we are now. Soon there will be a ten-nation confederation. And I showed you a map of the United Nations a few weeks ago that showed a distribution of the nations just happens to be ten. Ten ruling regions that the United Nations has just, just kind of split the world into, just coincidentally. And then the rock is the Lord Jesus Christ, remember, 235 and 245. And he will come down, and he will crush Antichrist's kingdom. And he will establish his millennial kingdom, and then we go into eternity. Revelation 19 tells us just how he'll do this. Verses 19 through 27, we don't have time for that. But trust me, he's coming on the white horse, and he's going to throw Antichrist and a false prophet into the lake of fire. And in verse 20 of Revelation chapter 20, one little messenger angel ties Satan up, binds him, and throws him into the pit, the abuso, for a thousand years. That's on the horizon, too. Darius, the king's heart has changed. He responds to the call of God to let the people go. Remember, Pharaoh was to let the people go, but he resisted. He would not bow to God. But, oh, Darius is so much different. Watch this in Ezra chapter 1. This is amazing. Now in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, and the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. That was his 70-year prophecy. You're going to be in captivity for 70 years. That was fulfilled when Belshazzar died and Cyrus took over. Might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia. The Lord did this so that he made a proclamation throughout all the kingdom. And he also put it in writing saying, Thus says Cyrus, the king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me. He realizes who is sovereign. He realizes who's in control. And he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you of all the, his people. 
May his God be with them and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. Get out of my country. Go back to your country. Zerubbabel was the one that was given the commission to build the temple. He was all embarrassed because it wasn't anything near the grandeur of Solomon's temple. And, 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 and God says to him, do not despise the day of small things. Not by might, Zerubbabel, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. It will be done. Our God reigns. Our God is in charge. Cyrus bowed. He's a picture of believers. Pharaoh did not bow. He's a picture of unbelievers. In conclusion, Daniel and the lion's den. Think of the miracles. Think of the miracles. Daniel is saved from ravenous lions. That's a miracle of God. That's not coincidence. That's some, that's some somebody from space came down and put a little bubble around him like on Star Trek or something. No. Daniel is saved from the plotting haters. That's God. Daniel prospered in the entire time he was in captivity. That's a miracle of God in itself. Daniel's excellent spirit so influenced the heathen king that the heathen king probably became a believer. That's a miracle of God. That's a miracle of God. And then Daniel leaves a legacy of faith and trust for the ages. That's God's miracle too. Leave a legacy, folks. Leave a legacy. Remember the lion's den was there to destroy Daniel. It was there to destroy him. But God intervened. The roaring lion seeks whom he may destroy, 1 Peter 5.8. Doesn't he? He's looking. He's looking for the weak ones. He's looking for the isolated ones. Oh, it's so important to stay in fellowship. He wants the isolated ones. He gets that little gazelle, takes them down. Stay in the herd. Stay safe. Be in the herd. How did Daniel survive the plotters? How did he survive the lion's den? The lion's onslaught? By faith. Trusting God no matter the outcome. No matter the outcome. How do we survive the roaring lion? Onslaught, 1 Peter 5, 9. Resist him steadfast in the faith. It's all the same, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Folks, we're not the Lone Ranger. Whatever you're going through, someone else has gone through it. And we are to encourage one another. If I've gone through something, I can encourage or help somebody else that's going through the same thing. A great quote from John Corson is this. Satan is a roaring lion to be sure, but he got tangled up in a cat fight with the lion of the tribe of Judah and lost. Yes, way to be John. Folks, lion's dens may come in your life, and lion's dens may go. It's part of a fallen world. But he who follows the lion of the tribe of Judah lives forever. You know what you call yourself? You live for, you're an overcomer. You're a victor. You're a victor. This, folks, we know to be true. When life is unclear, and it often is, isn't it? It's unclear what we should do. Pray. When you have no idea of what path to take, what direction to go, pray. And may it be said of you, the God you continually serve, he will give me direction. He will make a way. He will show me the way. Leave a legacy of faith. I will trust in the Lord until I die. Daniel in the lion's den, part two, that all may know 
that our God reigns. Folks, this we know to be true. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. And Lord, as always, this word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. We'd be lost without it. Oh, Father, may we never take it from the centrality of our life. Lord, we've taught us that we don't worship the word of God. We worship the one the word speaks of, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, our true God in heaven. Holy Spirit, please speak to each one of us now. Whatever you've taught us, whatever you've caught our ear with, may we put that into our hearts. May we be different because we've come in contact with the living God today. In Jesus' name, amen.